Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Come on. <laughs> Bryson, they absolutely love you here. Congratulations, man. So cool to see you take your next steps of faith. I love that you're a part of this community. I love that God's called you here. And I'm, uh, I'm really excited to see what he's got for your future. Uh, well, hey, before we jump into the word today, I do want to take a moment and just uh, encourage us and thank you around your giving. Um, as we near the end of the year, uh, obviously, we're looking at a lot of opportunities in December to give money away and to bless some people and buy presents and all the rest of that stuff. And uh, I, I just got to brag once again on our church. This is going to be an absolutely incredible year. I can't wait to share uh, our financial report with you. But we have given so much away yeah. in 2020, and uh, we're going to give a lot away this month as well. In fact, you'll see some of that next week. But but again, as your pastors, we just want to take a moment and say thank you so much for your generosity. Thank yes. you for faithfully thank giving you. and sowing and tithing into the house. It's an honor to be a part of a community that truly gets generosity for sure. That's right. Uh, and in fact, I was planning on giving you guys an announcement again this week to tell you about the outreach we're doing with Mobilize Love over in Double Rock this week. But guess what? You guys are so generous that we already not just... Uh, we're able to collect 2000 which was our goal, but we exceeded that. And you guys gave over $3,000. Hey, hey, come on. We were looking at, uh, we were looking at the giving this week and we were like, oh my gosh. So uh, we want you guys to know we, we, called Mobilize Love, we called Christian and the crew over there and told him, hey, well, we, we got you your two grand, but we actually have an extra thousand for you. Do we so. get to keep it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, actually what was really cool is he said a story just came in of a family over in the neighborhood that we are doing the outreach in and they were talking about specific needs and there was this mom and son and they asked him like, what are your needs or what do you want for Christmas? Like, how can we help you? And the son said, only thing I want for Christmas is a bed to sleep on. I said, I don't want to sleep on the floor anymore. And I read that text and I instantly started crying. <laughs> Tim was apparently in the other room crying. So what's really cool, we don't just get to help with an outreach, but we get to give a family a bed and some bedding and all kinds of stuff. So... Uh, more to come on that, but thank you so much for your generosity and just giving in this season above and beyond. For sure, yeah, and if you'd like to give today, I'm sure you already know the ways to do it, but uh, you can give online on our website, tfh.church, or you can give right on the app, uh, and just know that you're helping a lot of people in this season as you are so generously into the house. Uh, well, hey, we are going to conclude a series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks entitled Pandemic Planning Part to today, a lot of P's in that word, uh, or excuse me, in that title. And uh, if you haven't been joining us, I want to encourage you to go back and check out the previous sermons. But basically, since we didn't get a shot at planning correctly for the plan, uh, the pandemic, the pandemic. <laughs> so, pandemic—that's a word we can't use. Don't okay? say that. Sorry, don't I don't believe that. that. Uh, pandemic part one. Uh, we are now taking uh, th this opportunity as we're facing round two of this to make sure that we are planning accordingly, that we are preparing ourselves, mind, body, soul, spirit, all of it, so that we can not just survive this next round, but so that we can truly thrive yeah. through it. I believe that God has called us not just to survive and hunker down and hope that we make it, but to truly thrive through this next round. And so we've been talking about some of the mistakes we might have made in round one. And if insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, we don't want to drive ourselves insane. We want to make sure that we do this round right. And so we're looking at a few of those mistakes and correcting them so yeah. that we can truly do this season well. Uh, week one, we talked about making sure that everybody takes responsibility for their own fire. Your fire, your passion for God, your heart for God is your responsibility. Right. It's not the responsibility of your small group leader or you know, the responsibility of your family or your church or whomever to take, uh, take your Bible out in the morning and read it for you and to pray for you. We got to all take ownership for our own relationship with Jesus. So we got to keep guard over our fire. And then last week, uh, apparently it was a pretty honest and uh, timely word for some folks. We talked about taking off the masks. Mm -hmm. And again, that was not a political statement. It was not to get people to walk into the grocery store and, you know, disobey the, the, the health orders. But we talked about the masks that people wear around each other and the masks that we wear around God and how it's so vitally important this round, we do not fake it. Right. We can't try to fake it in hopes that we're going to make it because many people faked it last round and they did not make it. Mm -hmm. We need to be open and honest about where we're at with God and open and honest about where we're at with people mm -hmm. so that we can experience joy yeah. and so that we can experience healing. 
Uh, this week, we're going to conclude with, I think, probably the most timely of the topics that we're going to be discussing because I think this is the one that we don't just get wrong in the last nine months. We didn't just get wrong in the last nine months. This is one that um, a lot of us, yes, even as mature adults, still don't quite have a handle on. Mm -hmm. uh, today, we're going to be talking about dealing with conflict. Hey. And as you can see, um, things as are a little bit different see. on the stage today. Uh, for the first time in the history of this church, at least, Robin and I are going to co-teach on this subject. And I, I have a question for you. Is this awkward for you, sitting in a, a chair here? Yeah. If Do I, you feel confined? <laughs> if I start dancing around, it's because I'm not used to sitting still ever. But I, I made sure that the podium was between us because Tim's Italian and he talks with his hands. I was like, I'm going to get hit if we're sitting too closely together. So at any time you need to jump up, run around. This is why we out. don't talk together because she makes fun of me before we even get into the sermon. All right. You've so. been making fun of me for 15 years. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be discussing uh, this topic together because honestly, it's a subject that we are immensely passionate about, but it's also a subject that we are intimately familiar with. Um, I'm really good at starting fights, and she's really good at resolving fights. It works out great. It's a, it's a symbiotic relationship between the two of us. Actually, true story. Uh, the church that we came from, often when there was some kind of conflict that involved a woman and our pastor needed a female to be a part of the conversation, uh, he would drag Robin into the chat because she had a reputation around the father's house as being someone who really did conflict well. So honestly, I could probably just sit here and let her talk and we'd all uh, receive uh, the wisdom of, of Robin Biddle uh, in this subject, but I'm going to do my best to pepper in some stuff as well. But I, I really do think this is going to be helpful today. I think that this topic is massive because if you, if you know us, if you know how we roll, you know that we do not shy away from conflict. Uh, we are more than willing to have the hard conversations, probably to a fault. Um, in fact, probably some of our team members are like, yo, can we just let something go? Like, <laughs> do we have to talk about everything all the time? Because we don't let anything settle. We don't let anything fester. We talk about everything. We, we've, we've realized at this point that you can't just let things go. Because honestly, if you leave things unaddressed, then they get suppressed. Yeah. And when you see things get suppressed, eventually they're going to blow. Eventually there's going to be a moment where the bottle is going to you know, pop at the top and somebody's going to yell at someone else or explode on somebody else. And so rather than wait for that moment, we have to discuss these topics. Right. And honestly, that's what's happened a lot over the last nine months. There's been a lot of explosions in some relationships. I mean, think about all of the things that we've had to argue about and have conflict about over the last nine months. Everything from how to respond to the pandemic, uh, to uh, the political environment, the elections, racial injustice, the Supreme Court, uh, murder hornets, um, <laughs> Prince Harry and Meghan Markle leaving the royal family. Like, there's been so much that's happened that we could disagree about and argue about. And I mean, this year has kind of been like a conflict carnival, hasn't it? Like, it's, yeah. it's just nonstop, one thing after the other. And that doesn't even account for all of the interpersonal relationships. And as a result of the stress and the tension that all of us have faced, the, the, the friendships and the marriages and the dating relationships and the familial relationships that have all been at, like, at odds over the last nine months because we don't know how to resolve conflict. And let's be honest, it would be so much easier for all of us just to just say, you know what, we'll, we'll hit the reset button, 21. Like, let's not talk about it. Let's just move on and, and see what happens. But you know the drill. You're gonna be sitting around some of your family around the holidays and there's gonna be some some arguments and some conversations. So we don't get the luxury just sweeping this stuff under the table. And honestly, as people of God, we don't have the luxury to do that either. We have to have these kind of conversations. So today we're going to talk about it. We're going to give you a couple of very simple tips, some things that we've learned over the years about how to deal with conflict. And I really do think it'll be helpful for you. So let me pray and then, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, we love you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to go to your word and to not just hear from it, but to truly allow it to change the way we approach situations here on earth. And uh, Lord, I know that there's been a lot of tension, a lot of conflict this year, lots of reasons for us to get angry at other folks and uh, to sever relationships. But Lord, as your people, as those who uh, you've called to be united with one another and that unity uh, to be a picture of the love that you have for this planet, I pray that this, th these words would sink down deep into our hearts today. That would change the way we think about some stuff. And Lord, that as we enter into this next chapter, that you would show us truly how to deal with conflict well so that we can be restored to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, amen. amen. Let's get into it. Amen. Let's do it. Well, I think uh, most people, when it comes to conflict, tend to deal with conflict one of two ways. And I think it's something that we've been able to see very clearly over this past year. We've had a lot of examples of that. Uh, one of those ways is through cancellation. 
Um, we've seen people, when it comes to something that they see, whether it's on you know, social media or the news or someone in their neighborhood, and they don't like that person, they don't like what they're about, they cancel them. And there's this mentality, you've probably seen some of that online, or maybe you've done it yourself. We see people having that cancellation mentality. The other thing that we see a lot of people do pretty commonly, especially over this last year, is uh, they begin to use isolation as their tool when it comes to conflict. That, you know what, what you just said, uh, what you just did, that made me uncomfortable. I don't like that, so I'm going to distance myself from you or that situation. And I think that we can, we can look at those two ways of handling conflict and say that's not a very good way to handle conflict. That's not very constructive. In fact, it's, uh, it's a, a terrible way to deal with conflict, so much so that it actually adds more insult to injury. It kind of digs a deeper hole. It, it causes things to fester when you either cancel or you isolate. And as people of God, we've been called to live at a different level. We've been called to live at a different standard as men and women who follow the word of God. And we don't have the luxury for cancellation or isolation. In fact, uh, we're called to embrace confrontation. And I know when I use that word confrontation, some of you are like, ooh, I don't like that word. That word doesn't sit well with me. Uh, maybe you grew up in kind of a contentious environment, an environment where that word confrontation, like you didn't see things done with a godly behavior. And you're like, that, that doesn't sit right because I only saw anger. I only saw angst when it came to confrontation. Or maybe you grew up in the opposite environment. You were taught to live passively. You were taught to just kind of isolate, like when things got too, too much tension, like you were just taught to sweep it under the rug. Uh, ooh, we don't have anything nice to say or nothing that's pretty and full of joy, then we're not going to say anything at all. And that's kind of the mentality that you developed. But we're called to be people of God, and although the Bible says, and Paul says in Romans 12, he says, do everything that depends on you to keep the peace with others. Peacekeeping doesn't mean to be passive, and it doesn't mean to ignore conflict. In fact, uh, often the way that we are peacekeepers is by embracing confrontation. And let's be honest about confrontation. It feels awkward. Can we all just agree that confrontation, it feels awkward. Like we have this physiological response when we're about to have a difficult conversation with someone. Uh, maybe you'd say like, I get butterflies or like your stomach begins to churn. You feel physically ill or your palms start sweating or you just have a rise in anxiety. And I think because conflict makes us feel that way, so many of us try and just avoid it because it makes us feel uncomfortable. But I want to remind us today that when it comes to conflict as believers, we can't avoid it. We actually have to embrace it. We're called to embrace conflict. So if you're taking notes today, you're following along with this, I want you to write this down. Embrace the awkwardness. Can you just turn to the person sitting next to you in the living room and just say, hey, embrace the awkwardness. Embrace the awkwardness. <gasps> Let's do it. Let's go to the word today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna be looking at verse 26 and it says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, first off, uh, when Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, chapter four, the whole theme of the chapter is about unity in Christ. It's about uh, the, the people of God coming together in unity. And the reason Paul writes this, he knows that when you're around people, there's gonna be opportunity for conflict. You live close to people, there's gonna be opportunity for it. But he also knows that there's opportunity for emotion. So I love that Paul first addresses our emotion and he talks about anger. He says, hey, in your anger, do you know what he's doing there for us? He's giving us permission to feel. 
he's partnering with God, the one who made you and made, made your emotions, and he's saying, it's okay to feel angry. And maybe in the difficult situation that you have faced, you maybe didn't feel anger, instead you felt hurt or you felt frustration. Listen, there is room for that feeling. You can embrace that feeling. You don't have to push it aside, pretend like you're just okay. It's okay for you to feel. God says it's okay to feel. But what God is not okay with is when that feeling causes you to sin. And that's why Paul tells us, he says, hey, don't wait. Don't let there be space between the issue with that person and the resolve. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let time pass, but resolve it. Come to face it. Because when we don't resolve it, when we let the sun go down, when tomorrow comes and then another day and another day, what actually happens is we give the enemy a foothold, it says. We give him an opportunity to come into the situation. I'm going to look at this word that Paul uses here. It's called topos. It's where we get the word topography. When Conflict goes unresolved. We are literally handing the enemy real estate. We're saying, come on in. You can dwell right here. I invite you. You know, normally the enemy has to work his way in. He has to fight against you. He has to fight against the, the forces that you, are around you when you're living that godly life. But when you decide to postpone the resolve, you're saying, come on in, it's yours. Especially if this conflict has to do with you and another brother or sister in Christ. Can we remind you today that we're not fighting against one another, we're fighting against our common enemy. So we can't give over real estate. Now, if we're gonna keep ourselves from sinning, if we're gonna keep the enemy at bay from gaining ground, then we must embrace this awkwardness with one another. Now, Tim said our, our pastor used to call me in to difficult situations to help diffuse them. Uh, a couple of my friends used to call me the queen of confrontation when this would happen. So let the queen of confrontation help you today. Let Mama Robin give you some tips on this. First of all, when you need to have a serious conversation with an individual, don't do it over text. That is the worst form of communication on planet Earth. As much as possible, get in front of that other person. I know we're dealing with COVID in a wild season, but guess what? You can go outside. You can even stand 10 feet apart so you can see one another's faces with your masks off. Do whatever it takes to get face to face with that person. And then the next thing I want to help you out with is the awkwardness because we know we all feel it. So this is what I do when I'm about to have a difficult conversation with someone. I point it out. I point out the awkwardness. Say, hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I feel uncomfortable. Like, this isn't fun for me to have this conversation with you. This isn't my favorite. I'm sure you and I would both rather be doing something else. Like, my palms are kind of sweaty. I, I just feel uncomfortable, and I don't love the way that I'm feeling right now. But you know what? I care more about you and I value our relationship so much that I'm willing to sit in this awkward space with you. Do you know what it does when we lead the conversation with that? We're sowing trust and transparency into the rest of the conversation. See, where there would have been maybe anger and these bottled up emotions and, and animosity or even an avoidance when you're sitting down not being fully transparent, when you're honest at the beginning about how you feel, you're able to pave the way with truthfulness and I guarantee that it will sow truthfulness into the difficult conversation you're about to have. I just wanna end with this little thought. I um, had this happen last week and it made me think about this scenario. Uh, 
it's been cold as the weather has changed and we've been building a few fires in our house and you maybe don't want me to add to pollution but you tell me I have to stay home, I'm gonna have a fire in my fireplace, so sorry. But I was building a fire the other night and when I picked up the piece of wood to stick it in, I got a splinter in my thumb. And I looked at it and I'm like, it's really small, it's not a big deal. And, you know, we enjoyed the fire, enjoyed the movie we were watching, and then as the fire died down and we were ready for bed, I went to bed, and I looked down at the splinter, and I was so tired, and I'm like, it's not a big deal, it's just so small, it's very insignificant, I'll deal with it in the morning. It also happened that it was on my left hand, and I'm left-handed, you ever try and get a splinter out with, like, your, your not dominant hand, and you're like, I don't even know how, like, it just doesn't work, and Tim was already in bed, so I couldn't couldn't ask for help. It would have been way too awkward for me to get the splinter out myself. So I went to bed instead. I'm laying in bed and my thumb begins to throb. So much so that I was like, did the like, mom taught me if your hand hurts, put it above your heart. So I'm like sleeping like this. It disturbed my sleep all night. And then actually the mor in the morning when I woke up, it was red around the splinter and it had begun to fester and get infected. You know, unresolved conflict is kind of like that little splinter. We can't ignore it. We can't wait till tomorrow. Although it's awkward, we need to embrace it. We need to pay attention to it. And although it's not our favorite thing to do, we've got to address it. So my heart for you today is that as you walk out after this sermon, that you would begin to embrace conflict even if it's awkward. Come on, that's good. That's good stuff. All right, number two, when it comes to conflict, you need to approach from forgiveness. Um, I was intentional about the way I worded that. I, I, I need you to understand that you must approach conflict from forgiveness, not for forgiveness. I think often we approach it for forgiveness, but the, the, the scripture teaches us to do something a little bit different. See, whether you realize this or not, often when we come into conflict, we have an agenda. And that agenda, if we're, if, again, if we're honest, is to try to get the other person to realize that what they've done is wrong so that we can elicit a, an apology and we hold forgiveness in like this little jar until they grovel and they say the right stuff. And then eventually, once we feel like they've, you know, they've, they've felt bad enough, then we will we'll distribute the forgiveness that we've been holding back, waiting for them to come to this epiphany that they've done something wrong. The tragic irony in the whole situation is the other person is probably waiting for you to do the exact same thing. So it's like one of those Western movies, right? Where like two guys are standing with their guns on their, on their hip waiting for the other person to draw and, and, and no one's shooting forgiveness out first. They're just waiting for the other person. And this happens all the time in relationships, specifically in marriage, okay? Uh, I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, let's pretend Robin does something to offend me, which I know is hard to believe. Uh, but let's say she's done something to offend me. She did it at the beginning of the sermon, so this really is just a perfect analogy. Uh, and in response to what Robin says, I end up hurting her. I, I, I get combative or I get bitter and, and, and I lash out and I say something I shouldn't say. So she's done wrong, and now I've done wrong in return. But then, instead of waiting for, or excuse me, instead of approaching the other person and asking for forgiveness, this is what happens all the time in relationships, we just sit back and we wait, don't we? We wait, and we just... Sometimes we wait for days, you know. Is there something wrong? No, no, there's, no, there's nothing wrong. Why? Do you think that I have a reason for something to be wrong? No, I, I was, but... but you know, I'm, I'm fine too, just so you know. Are you sure you're fine? Yeah, I'm fine. And people do this. They just sit back and they wait for the other person to apologize. Yeah. What, you know what that is? That is approaching conflict for forgiveness instead of approaching conflict from forgiveness. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit, we do not get to approach conflict for forgiveness. We've actually been called, better said, mandated, to issue forgiveness to somebody else before they ever ask for it, even if they do not deserve it, even if they never apologize, we've been called to forgive. Uh, let, let me read you the words of Jesus here. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. 
But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Can we just stop and think about that for just a moment? (laughs) Like sometimes there's Bible verses where you have to like go back to the Greek and, you know, study. Like, okay, you know, I don't don't know context. What is this person saying? And let's go back to the original language because I really want to mine out. It's It's a little complex and it's, you know. This is not one of those scriptures. (laughs) This is about as easy as it gets to understand. Jesus said, hey, either you forgive somebody else or I am not willing to forgive you. If you are willing to hold somebody else's sin against them, then you're giving me permission to hold your sin against you. Let me say it like this. Forgiveness requires forgiveness. If you want to be a person who lives forgiven by God, then you must be the kind of person that dispenses forgiveness, that gives it out, no strings attached to other people. Again, not because they deserve it, because a lot of people don't. Not because they've asked for it, because they never will sometimes. But because you understand, I need to be forgiven by God. And this is for me, not for you. Some one person said, I think it was Joyce Meyer, she said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else is gonna die. It's pointless. No, when I forgive, it is for my benefit, not for the other person's benefit. Now, I'm not going to pretend that that is easy, okay? Like, I'm up here just kind of cavalierly sharing a couple of scriptures, like, well, you need to forgive somebody. But, I mean, let's be honest. Some people have been through some tragic, horrendous stuff. Like, you can imagine, as, as pastors, we, we hear a lot of stories. And the, the, the pain and the trauma and the abuse that people have suffered at the hands of others, it would seem almost impossible to suggest that you should forgive. Insulting, maybe. But the impossible becomes possible when we have the right perspective. So so let me offer you a biblical perspective for just a moment. These are the uh, words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, watch this, forgiving one another just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Leave that on the screen for just a moment, production guys. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So Paul is giving us a key here. He's saying, guys, the Lord commands us to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, all the evil behavior. We are commanded to get rid of those things. Now, that's an easy one to throw out there, but it's a very hard command to follow. So let me, let me tell you how you can follow th- through on this command. It's not found in you know, trying harder and you know, really, really getting yourself in, into the scripture and, you know, oh, God, I, I'm going to do this. It's not that, that way at all. In fact, it's found in perspective. And here's the perspective he says we're supposed to have. If I will remember what God has forgiven me of, if I will take inventory of the things that I have asked God to forgive me of, It will give me perspective. It will show me how desperately I needed God's forgiveness. And then when I see how desperately I needed his forgiveness, it will become not easier but possible for me to distribute that same forgiveness to other people. When I see how much I've been forgiven of, freely I've received, so freely I will give. Now that begs a question. What has God forgiven you of? What are those things that you've asked for forgiveness of and in a moment God said, hey, I forgive you, I love you. You're white as snow. Has he forgiven you for saying some things you didn't mean? Probably. Has he forgiven you for turning your back on him? Yes. Has he forgiven you for betrayal? Well, you're called a Christian, right? That means that you're a bearer of the name of Jesus. So anytime we live hypocritically, it's like we drag his name through the dirt and we betray Jesus. And yes, he has forgiven us of that. I would suggest that everything you might be holding against somebody else, God has already forgiven you of as well. You've already asked for forgiveness in the same area where you might be holding somebody else hostage. Adultery? Well, the Bible says that if you look at somebody lustfully with your eyes, then you've already committed adultery. Well, they stole from me. They're a thief. Do you tithe? Because the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 that if you don't tithe, then you're stealing from God. They lied to me. Really? We all know you're a liar, all right? Let's be honest here. I've seen those pictures you posted all filtered up on Instagram. That's a lie, honey, okay? 
everything that we attempt to hold against somebody else, we've probably already asked God to forgive us of. So unless we want God to hold those things against us, then we must freely give forgiveness to others. We see what we've been forgiven of, and so once we see it, we can give it to other people. Now, if you're having a hard time in this area and if forgiveness seems difficult for you, I want to point back to a sermon we preached about a year ago. We were in a series called Heart Attack, and uh, there was a sermon titled How to Free an Unforgiving Heart. And we went all through Matthew chapter 18, and uh, I really think that content will help you if you're walking through this, this season having a hard time forgiving somebody else. Because I know it's not just something that we can talk about for a couple minutes and then assume it's going to be fine. This, this really is a work of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you to go back and watch that if you'd like to. But for the sake of our conversation today... Here's what we need to understand. We don't approach conflict for forgiveness. We approach it from the position of I've already chosen to forgive. I pre-forgive you before we ever have the conversation. Because more than I want to be right, I want to be restored. Yeah. I approach it from forgiveness. I love that. More than I want to be right, I want to be restored. Yeah. That's so good. Write that one down. <laughs> Uh, number three, when it comes to conflict, we have to avoid about. Write that down too. Avoid about. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, there's a temptation when we're in the middle of conflict to talk about somebody rather than talk to that somebody. And there's a word for that. Let me help you out today. It's called gossip. And the Bible talks a lot about gossip and how God hates gossip. He hates, he loathes. I mean, just read the word and we, we think it's so simple and like, it's not a big deal that I'm, I'm discussing this, but something that God truly hates. And actually, if we look at the definition of gossip, it says this, it's a casual conversation or a report about another person, typically involving details that are not confirmed to be true. Let's remind ourselves that we're in the middle of conflict. We have one side of the story and the other person has the other half. Yet we can find ourselves talking about that person to others. And I like to call it camouflage gossip. You know, when you are in your small group and you go to your group and you're like, I have a prayer request. You pray for me. But then you begin divulging the situation about the other person that you have half the story of. And, you know, we, we know we do it. We know when we're doing it. I was just talking to a friend this week who's like, yo, I know I can struggle with gossip, so I got to put myself in check. And we know when we're like, I just, I just have to get this off my chest. I got to call mom and tell her. I got to call, you know, my small group leader or my friend. We know we all do it, and I read this, and I want to share this. It says, uh, it's been said that gossip is the cheapest form of intimacy. It helps me feel close to someone else when I feel distant from the one I'm gossiping about. Dude, that stings, does it not? You know, when it comes to conflict, we must exercise maturity, not to talk about someone, but to talk to them, which is risky because we all know in conflict, there's an opportunity for someone to get hurt. There's an opportunity if you go to that person and have a conversation that you're going to be hurt. There's also an opportunity that you can hurt someone with your truthful words, See, we avoid conflict because we're afraid of hurt. I think many times we think uh, conflict could cripple this relationship. If I'm honest and I bring this up and we, we talk about it, this conflict could hurt our relationship. It could cripple it. But I want to suggest today that conflict could actually catalyze your relationship could actually take it to a new place. Uh, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now that word rebuke, it comes from the word reproach, and it means to be reprimanded or strongly worn. See, I don't know about you, but if I need to be rebuked, which already that word just doesn't sit well with me. So let's change it a bit. 
I need to be called out on something I did or said, I would much rather have somebody that I love and trust come and bring me truth rather than a stranger. You see, there's safety in that type of rebuke. There's safety in that space. See, an honest rebuke from a friend that's full of kindness, and most likely if they're a godly friend, they prayed before they came to you, it doesn't weaken the friendship. It can actually work to cement the friendship more. It can cement the friendship closer together. See, when a a friend comes and confronts you and brings honesty and truth, there is safety in that. There's a place that says, hey, this situation happened, this went on, but you know what? I don't want to try and pretend like everything's okay. I don't want to ignore this because I'm trying to salvage a relationship. You know what? If I get hurt, that's okay. You know what? I love you so much that if my words wound you, I know we're going to get through it. And actually, it's probably going to make us closer friends as a result. See, I value relationships that are willing to tell me the truth and not keep silent. Relationships that are willing to go there with me and risk one of us being hurt for the truth to be told and for us to be able to actually grow and go to a new place in our friendship. So, I don't know about you, but... I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk to you. And I think that that has to be our mandate as believers. I'm not going to share it with the other people, but I'm going to go straight to that person. And while we're talking about about, I'm going to say that again. While we're talking about about, I want us to also apply the same logic to our prayer life. When you're in the middle of a conflict with someone, let's commit to not pray about them. Instead, let's pray for them. You know, your prayers can sound very different. When you're praying about someone, it can sound a little bit like, God, did you see what they did to me? Did you see how they hurt me? And you begin rehashing the things that happen. God, would you bring justice to me? And you begin, you begin almost villainizing maybe a brother or a sister in the Lord. But praying for them sounds a lot different. God, I don't know what happened in this situation. I don't know the ins and outs. But God, I pray for them right now. I don't know what they're going through that made them react that way. But I know you love them. God, would you show me your love for them? I pray that you would meet them where they're at. God, would you show up wherever they're at right now? I pray for closeness between you and them. You know, I've shared before, I've been transparent about the relationship that we've had with one of our neighbors. Uh, We have a difficult relationship with the neighbor. The the short end of it is... uh, Before we lived in our house, it was vacant for like three years. So there was a lot of, there wasn't a lot of noise coming from our house. And then we showed up and we became a disturbance. And if you know Tim and I, then you know that we've done everything in our power to live at peace with our neighbor, but we're still in a bit of a conflict. You know, it's really easy for me to be drawn into a space where I pray about my neighbor. God, can you believe what he said? Can you believe the looks, the daggers in his eyes when he walked to his door? God, would you have mercy on me, your innocent child? I've done nothing. Justice, I command justice. Like, I have a tendency to want to pray that way. I heard there's some psalms about that, like, crack crack your skulls against the rocks, or, you know, that kind of thing. I've never prayed that. I'm just. Yeah, that wasn't going to be my example because I haven't prayed that way. Yeah. Instead, because I have a little bit of the Father's heart, he draws me to pray for my neighbor. God, I don't know what's going on, but I know you know. I know you know what happens on our end. And Father, I know he needs you. (laughs) I know that he might be walking through some stuff or has been through things in his life that I don't know about. God, would you come and meet him where he's at? He's your son. You created him and you love him. Father, would you meet him where he's at? I want us to be a church that doesn't pray about people, but we would be committed to pray for them. That's so good. Come on. 
so glad I'm married to you. All right, last thought, and then we'll conclude here. Uh, number four, uh, when it comes to conflict, we need to be willing to fill the gap with trust. Fill the gap with trust. Uh, conflict is generally caused because of a gap. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. I'm going to give you a little illustration you here. Get to but stand. Uh, every relationship is made up of two components. There is expectation and there is experience. I expect you to do a certain thing. I expect you to respond a certain way. I expect you to believe the way that I believe. I expect you to treat me this way. I expect you to call. And then there is our experience, what actually happens in the relationship. Sometimes when the stars align and the magical dust is, is sprinkled over your relationship, everything is fine in this arena. Your expectation and your experience are exactly the same. It's like, it's like the heavens open and the angels are singing and all is right in your world. But often, these two do not align. Often, your expectations are not met and your experience is different than what you expected and a gap is created. There is a break in the relationship. Side note, little rabbit trail. Generally, the reason that there is a gap between these two is because people do not generally voice their expectations. They remain silent about what they expect and they assume that you know what they expect. And because you didn't know and you kind of hurt their feelings or you didn't do what they thought you should, there's now this gap. Well, you need to voice your expectations. Unvoiced expectations is premeditated bitterness. It's you just thinking about somebody else fulfilling what you said that you, uh, but they don't know. And now you're getting bitter and angry at somebody when you never told them what you expected. That's a different sermon for another day. But for now, when there is a gap between your expectation and your experience, you now get to determine what you are going to fill this gap with. You can fill this gap with your past experience, how they've always acted like that, or they never called when things were bad, or you know, I, I, they've always treated me that way. And you go back on the past and you fill this gap with the past experience. You can fill it with assumption. I know that they meant it that way. I, I know what they were really thinking. I, I know why they did that. They did this to hurt me, and they're always looking for opportunities to hurt me. You can fill it with all those things, or you can fill this gap with trust. You ultimately get to choose what you fill the gap with. But whatever you fill it with either fosters reconciliation or it continues to fuel confrontation. You get to choose what you're going to fill it with. Uh, there is an author by the name of Marcus Buckingham, and he wrote a book called The One Thing That You Need to Know, one of the most presumptuous book titles of all time, uh, but The One Thing That You Need to Know. And, and he did this study in this book uh, with married couples that had been together for 20 years or longer. And uh, over the course of this, this, uh, this season, they, they, they looked at what these married couples did and they tried to determine, okay, what is the common denominator that keeps these people together? You know, we, we've studied, we've done the market research, what, what keeps people married? And their assumption when they went into this study was that when, when uh, married couples saw a discrepancy between what they expected and what they experienced, that they would just, over time, continue to lower their expectations. They knew the other person so well that they would just lower their expectations so that they wouldn't be disappointed. That's probably why Robin still stays with me. Um, but over time, you know, the, the bar just got lower and lower and lower, and it's like, well, I don't expect much from that guy anymore or that woman anymore, and so we're just gonna, we're gonna just stay together and we'll tolerate one another. That was their assumption walking into the study. Instead, what they discovered was that when there was a gap between their expectation and their experience, those who stayed married for a really long period of time, guess what they filled that gap with? They filled it with trust. They assumed the best about the other person instead of expecting the worst. They said, you know what? I know that she said it like that, but she probably didn't mean it like that. I know that he did that, but he didn't do that to hurt me. They, they believed the best about the other person and they filled that gap with trust. So let me ask you, as you consider all of this, if that is how married couples stay together and if that is how healthy relationships stay together, when you find a gap between expectation and experience, what do you tend to fill that gap with? Do you fill those gaps with your own assumption about what somebody did or meant 
Do, do you fill it with past experience or do you fill it with trust? And as you're considering that question, let me, let me just throw this little uh, curveball at you. What you fill is ultimately what you get. What you decide to fill this space with is ultimately what you are going to get in return. Let me read to you one of the most terrifying scriptures in the entire Bible, okay? Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Now, at face value, you might go, that doesn't sound very terrifying. Why does that scripture terrify you, Tim? That doesn't seem very scary. In fact, it seems like a pretty awesome promise because often when we read that scripture, we immediately apply it to money. We're like, okay, we give. Financially, we give. And as we give, God gives gives back to us, pressed down, shaken together. He blesses us and he gives us more. In fact, I've taught that from this stage because it is a biblical principle. It is a true statement. You could look through the Bible and, and that will be backed up not just by this scripture, but by many others. However, when you read that scripture in its context, it takes on a bit of a different flavor and it's not quite as encouraging. Back up just one verse to verse 37, and here's what Jesus says. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Then verse 38, give, what are we giving? Judgment, condemnation. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Come on, that is not a bumper sticker you are putting on the back of your car all of a sudden. You're like, oh, I don't like that scripture. I'm taking it off my wall and my mirror in the bathroom. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty weighty one. Yeah. What, what Jesus is saying here is whatever you give, whatever judgment you give, you are in turn giving God permission to use against you. Actually, what it really says is that whatever measure you give, you're giving God permission to use an even greater measure against you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So in, in application to our, uh, our illustration here, whatever you fill that gap with, You are giving God permission to fill the gap with the very same thing in increased measure with you. So if we fill it with assumption, if we fill it with past experience, guess what God gets to fill it with for us? The exact same thing. Now that is terrifying to me. Because I don't know about you, but I do not want God filling the gaps in my life with his past experience with me or with his assumptions about my future. (laughs) When I come to Jesus and I ask for forgiveness and I make that vow that I've made a million times before and I've broken, God, I'm never gonna do it again. I don't want God to go, well, you know, (laughs) based on my experience, yes, you are. (laughs) When I come to God and uh, there's a gap between his expectation of holiness for my life and what he's experienced when I've broken that time and time again, I don't want him to assume the worst for my future. I want God to believe the best about me. I want to actually be able to read those scriptures that say that God has good plans for me and he's called me the head and not the tail and I am forgiven and I'm washed in the blood of the lamb and I'm white as snow. I want to read those scriptures and be able to apply them to my life because I have not exercised judgment or condemnation against other people. And I know that as I've been willing to give that to others, God has now allowed me to receive it from him. And guess what? When we give the good stuff, when, when we fill that gap with trust, it comes back to us, pressed down, shaken together. Come on, running over so that God can give us even greater measure than we've given to other people. That's the good news. I want to encourage you if, you, if you find some gaps in your relationships, make sure that you are filling that gap, not with your experience, not with the past, but you're filling it with trust. Now, I know these four have been very simple things today, you know, very simple applications at least conceptually. But, but I, I also know that there's probably some people in your world that, that you need to, to exercise these with. There's probably some relationships that the Holy Spirit is even bringing to mind right now where you need to have the conversation and you need to choose to forgive before you even have that chat and you need to fill some gaps up. I, I wanna pray over you. And as we pray over you today, I, I, I wanna pray that you would have the guts in God to have some hard chats and that we would allow the Holy Spirit to restore some broken relationships. So as the band comes, let's, let's conclude and, and let's pray today. Jesus, I thank you for our church. I thank you for this community. And I thank you that your word is not silent on some of the things that we struggle with the most. As we go to your word, it's very clear how we're supposed to respond to conflict. And I pray that as we talked about these, these four very simple things today, Holy Spirit, you would give us the ability 
to put them into practice, even this week. Right now, we just give you permission. Even in your living room, would you put your hand over your heart? Those that are here today, would you put your hand over your heart and just say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to bring uh, faces and names to my mind and to my heart right now. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna hold things against others. I'm not gonna remain silent when I know I need to have a hard conversation. God, I, by your strength and by your spirit, we're gonna do conflict well this round. We're not gonna just survive. We're gonna thrive through this next round. And even as I'm praying this today, there's probably some people watching that would say, hey, Pastor Tim, um, I, the conflict that I feel is, yeah, I've got some with other people, but I don't even know if things are right between God and I. Maybe you've got some unforgiveness in your heart there. Maybe there's some conversations you've never had with God. Well, this all starts with relationship with him as well. So I wanna invite you right now, wherever you're at, if you're far from Jesus, to make a decision to invite him into your world. I'm gonna say a very simple prayer. And as I say this, you can repeat it in your heart right there. And uh, this really is the most important moment of your life as you make a decision to follow Jesus. But just say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I know our relationship is broken. We've been estranged, but today I wanna come close to you. I don't want there to be conflict between you and I any longer. I want this relationship to be right. So I make a decision to hand my heart over to you. Forgive me of my past. Help me to walk in your ways from this day forward and to be your disciple until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can we just thank God for anyone praying that prayer today, watching online? Listen, there's a, a button popping up right now and it says, raise your hand. And if you're watching on the live stream, you can click that button. If you're not and you're watching later or you're on YouTube, again, you can text TFHSF to 97,000. And as you do that, there's going to be a little form for you to fill out. Please do not miss this moment. We are so passionate about helping you take your next steps. Just as Bryson was water baptized, that is one of your very next steps to, to get into those waters of baptism and see the old you wash away and a new creation come up out of there. And we also wanna tell you about a journey called First 40 that we do around here where we teach you how to read the Bible and how to pray and all about godly community, really just making sure that the first 40 days of your journey are started strong. So please take advantage of that uh, before you log off today. Also, for the rest of you watching, if you need prayer for anything, we have some live folks standing by that would love to pray with you. Click that little prayer button and we would, uh, we would love to uh, intercede with you or whatever you're walking through. But for everybody else, thank you so much for joining us. It's gonna be an amazing weekend next weekend as we do Christmas at the Father's house and we worship walk together. I hope to see you there. Until then, have an amazing Sunday and we'll see you soon. We love you. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.